This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. This BFM Budget 2023 special is brought to you by Ma Singh. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. Last Friday, Budget 2023 was tabled in Parliament, unveiling Malaysia's biggest budget thus far at 372.3 billion ringgit, with healthcare receiving the third largest share of the allocations at 36.14 billion ringgit. Well, as we all know, um, on Monday, uh, yesterday on the 10th of October, Parliament was then dissolved with the consent of the Yang Dipertuan Agong. Um, obviously, that leaves us um, unclear as to what will happen with uh, what was tabled in Budget 2023. Um, nonetheless, uh, we would still like to unpack um, the healthcare allocations uh, to, just to get a view of um you know, what uh, could be in the works uh, if a similar budget is retabled when the new government uh, is elected in. So on this episode of Public Health with my co-host Azro Muhammad Khalib, CEO of the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy, we'll be unpacking these health allocations and discussing what gaps remain unaddressed. And our guest to discuss that with us today, Public Health Physician. Associate Professor Dr. Nirmala Bhupati from University of Malaya. Azrul and Dr. Nirmala, how are the both of you today? Very well, thank you, uh, uh, it It's uh, quite a surprise for the dissolution of parliament, but you know, uh, life goes on and we've got to roll with it and hoping for uh, the budget to be what it is. Dr. Nirmala, how are you feeling? I'm great, Shawit. Thank you. Like uh, like Azrul, I'm uh... I would use the word, uh, I wouldn't use the word shocked, but uh, it's uh, unpredictable and we we just go along, I guess. Yeah, if nothing else, the pandemic has taught us how to how yeah. to roll with things <laughs> and uh, uh, pick up uh, whatever is unexpected and just run with it, right? Yeah. So uh, I just want to get some initial impressions first uh, of the healthcare allocations that were tabled last Friday by Tengku Zafro. Perhaps Azrul, very quickly first, before I get to Dr. Nirmala. Well, it was very clear uh, this time around that basically the uh, health allocation this time around is is not really something that's going to be a game changer for healthcare, uh, despite the significant increase around $4 billion, uh, to the allocation compared to this year. But it does make a very important move, which is to begin to address some of those long standing and teething institutional structural problems caused by the previous underinvestment that's been mentioned many, many, many times. And this includes investing in updating, modernizing aging infrastructure, as well as uh, dealing with the problem of staff retention. So they're wanting to see about retaining skilled health workers. So that's a good uh, aspect of that bill. As for me, I think uh, I was expecting, because there were promises that the, the investment in health is going to increase when it comes to the proportion from GDP. So I was expecting a bigger increase, I think. But um, I, I didn't see that coming because uh, we were hoping that with all the talks, there were a lot of talks even from the last budget up till now. And so I was expecting more and more into public health. And um, for me, I think I'm I'm okay with it, but I wouldn't say I'm happy with it. Because I would expect more. I would expect um, maybe 5%. But I guess that it's a <laughs> big jump 
but but with all the talks, I was actually thinking that we will get bigger, bigger fair share of the of our GDP for health. Expectations were really raised this time around, wasn't it? Azrul, where does um, 2023's allocation put us in terms of percentage of GDP? Well, you know, the thing is, is that uh, we'll know that when the GDP projections come about properly. But basically, we are looking at a slight increase of maybe around 3% of GDP. Uh, and that is really depending on how well we do uh, in the coming year. And it's also important to realize that what is allocated may not be what is actually spent. And here's here's the thing, you know, we've been talking a lot about 5% of GDP and how much does that actually look like if you look at what we have uh, right now for 2022, that's $32 billion, uh, which is around 2.5% or so. If we are looking at 5% GDP, we're looking at a 100% increase of the allocation, bringing it from 32 to $64 billion ringgit. So, uh, you know, that would put uh, the health budget in pole position in terms of the budget, which means that it would be bigger, even uh, higher than the education budget. So I honestly don't think that will actually come to fruition anytime soon, but it is a good aspirational uh, objective to have. I think if we were to incrementally increase the amount of money that's provided for health over the next coming years, we could reach that number to maybe around four to six years uh, down the line, but certainly cannot be achieved within a singular budget. So we were fully expecting that it wouldn't be 5%. Uh, the money's just not there. But, you know, uh, it was good for uh, the health minister to emphasize that point again and again, because that's an aspirational objective that we need to be able to achieve uh, to keep us in line with other upper middle income countries uh, that are transitioning to high income and also to future proof our health budget. Mm. Did we see any um, future proofing um, of our health system? Azrael, I know you said that it has started to make moves towards addressing ageing infrastructure, staff retention. Uh, could I get the both of you to start weighing in on what you saw as uh, some measures to future-proof towards um, shocks uh, to the healthcare system. Uh, Dr. Nimala, do you want to perhaps weigh in first? What did you see were actually long-term or at least medium-term measures put in place? Let me start with uh, um, women. I think uh, although it didn't appear that it was directly related to health, but in fact it is, uh, investing more in women. I think that was something quite new that I saw, you know, uh, and I'm very, very pleased with that because uh, there's a lot of talk about equity, promoting gender equity, and I think that will translate to health gains. So I, I saw that as a, as a big win and something positive from the budget. Apart from that, something new, I would think that aging infrastructure was something that they need to talk about, and they did. I will stop there, and uh, because I also have a lot of things to say about things that were missed out, so um, we will get there when we get there, and uh, I'll hand it to Hasrul. Yeah, uh, you know, it's uh, what does future proofing really mean? And that goes back to the issue of ensuring our health infrastructure is able to be uh, not just modernized but also resilient uh, towards future uh, shocks and stresses and this includes also things like uh, pandemic preparedness when it comes to emerging or even existing disease outbreaks and not forgetting that 
COVID-19, everybody loves to talk about post-COVID, post-COVID. The reality is that we're not in a post-COVID situation. COVID is still with us and we are expecting surges and also uh, future waves of new variants that are going to be challenging our ability to be able to respond and to protect our population. So we need to make sure that our healthcare system is able to withstand these future stresses uh, and not forgetting uh, the fact that we are already dealing with at least three three crises that our health system needs to be able to address. The first one is non-communicable diseases. And just that simple uh, term covers things like diabetes, cancer, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, obesity. These are all coming with their individual price tags. And we look at just diabetes alone, it takes up a huge chunk of uh, the expenditure on how we treat people with diabetes. You know, the increase of $4 billion that we just got? Well, too bad. That's how much it costs to treat diabetes in a single year, $4 billion. So you basically just wiped it out, just treating out diabetes. And of course, we have mental health, which has been raised, uh, which has been long neglected, and we are insufficiently uh, able to provide coverage and services. A lot of people are depending on uh, public service because people cannot afford private uh, mental health facilities. And most importantly, I think this is one area which we continuously fail and we have been determined to be ill-prepared for, which is the aging population, which uh, Prof. Nimala uh, alluded to earlier. So the thing is, right now, when we look at it, uh, we need to make sure that we are able to future-proof uh, our health system to being able to address these crises. But also, and this is a very important thing, which I felt was missing from the, uh, the budget, and that is a way forward to be able to sustainably finance our healthcare system, you know? We talk about this 5%, 3%, 4%. Where is this money going to come from? How are we going to be able to uh, fund uh, the initiatives that we need to be able to provide our uh, people with the ability to deal with these diseases and emerging conditions and also future challenges? And this is where it's a big disappointment for me at least uh, because I was expecting at least something to do with healthcare financing to be in or at least some effort to invest in the way forward. But it was totally silent on healthcare financing. Mm. Many people have said that it was um, crafted to be a feel-good budget. Uh, And I guess one argument could be that healthcare financing doesn't fit under um, a feel-good theme, isn't it? Because it requires really difficult and it could be painful changes as well. Um, for not just um, whoever's running the healthcare system, but for the rest of us, the, um, the people, taxpayers as well. But we'll continue this conversation after a quick break. There's so much to unpack in what you said, Azrul, tackling uh, non-communicable diseases and mental health, as well as the huge gap in, uh, in mentioning uh, very much about the ageing population as well. So we will uh, come back to discuss that. I'm speaking with my co-host today, Azrul Mohamed Kaleb, CEO of the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy, together with Dr. Nirmala Bhupati, Associate Professor of Epidemiology, in the Department of Social and Preventive Medicine from Faculty of Medicine, University of Malaya. We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9.
Stay tuned to BFM's Budget 2023 special, brought to you by Marsing. This BFM Budget 2023 special is brought to you by Ma Singh. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik, and my co-host for the Public Health Series, Azrul Mohamed Khalib, CEO of the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy. We're speaking to Dr. Nirmala Bhupati, Associate Professor of Epidemiology in the Department of Social and Preventive Medicine at the Faculty of Medicine, University of Malaya. We're unpacking the health allocations that were announced in Budget 2023 last Friday by the Minister of Finance. Now, of course, understanding that Parliament has been dissolved and, uh, well, number one, we have a caretaker government, but uh, number two, we are discussing and breaking down these allocations with some expectation whether uh, a similar budget may be tabled uh, by the new government when it's elected in or there may be opportunities um, to look at um, you know what else we would like let's add on to that wish list that we were talking about even before the budget was tabled so um, talking about future proofing the healthcare system for shocks and three major crises that Malaysia has to really get serious about facing Azrul are non-communicable diseases, mental health and uh, the ageing population. Dr. Nirmala, what did you see uh, with regard to non-communicable diseases in the budget that was tabled? I felt it was very lacking, but I'd like to get your thoughts. For me, I, I expected more. Uh, I think that's the short answer. And simply because uh, what we saw was pretty much, I think, repackaging of what has been done previously, you know, like things that have been covered previously. So I was, there were a bit of new elements, but a lot of it was still not there. And I think it was simply because we were just looking at specific areas that we wanted to tackle and it's the same thing. So, for instance, uh, there was talk and on uh, health promotion, prevention, and we say we want to do more health promotion. But I think what is lacking is the thought on what exactly do we want to cover. And maybe it's too superficial to be something that maybe because we, they just had to say what has been done. But if you go in depth, um, health promotion covers what we need to find what works and what doesn't work. So, there's no point in putting a lot of money in something, but if it's going to be the same method and it's not going to work. So we need to invest in finding interventions that work for health in terms of health promotion. But uh, my biggest, uh, I think uh, for me, when I, when I felt it was lacking is simply because we are talking about a population where there's a growing burden of non-communicable diseases. And that means chronic diseases where people are going to live with the disease for very long. So where, where was this uh, talk on returning people to normality? You know, when they are living with the disease and uh, or recovering from the disease, how are they going to return to work, post-disease recovery, improving life after diagnosis? Because all of these are interlinked. Uh, when we invest in health, it's a vital economic and societal catalyst. When people get better, they go back to work. They, uh, they produce and they improve the economic status of the entire nation. So I didn't see much being put into the, the, the part when people, if before they get the disease, they get the disease and post disease. So that part was really lacking. And I think that should be something that comes out in conversations, you know, fluently when we speak. 
And it's not there right now. It's missing. People don't talk about it. And I think it needs to come out. And that needs to be explicitly covered in a budget. Only yeah. then it happens. Yeah. Uh, let me add on to that, uh, Shahid. When we look at the speech and the uh, expansion on what is being provided, we see under women and children's health, uh, 11 million for the subsidization of mammograms and cervical cancer screening. And then we also see uh, some money for the agenda national. Uh, for the Healthy Malaysia National Agenda. That was yeah, uh, 15 million there for reducing the risk of NCDs and obesity. Yeah, you know, honestly, we've seen health campaigns and this is another health campaign. And uh, we see in the past that uh, health campaigns, unless they are designed properly and they are targeting certain populations, they don't necessarily work. And this is where it goes back to the issue here of what we're actually dealing with. 15 million for Agenda National Malaysia Sihat, which is a basically a health communications campaign, isn't going to cut it. There's 80 million for Soxo Health Screening Program, which is good. Uh, for them to be able to provide these services to the people. But again, are you able to get people to get screened? And that's the, the issue here. Uh, bearing in mind that 70% of the cancer cases that present uh, to the health system is in stages three and four, uh, we have to basically acknowledge the fact that whatever we do today uh, in terms of trying to encourage people to come forward and get screened for them to be diagnosed and for them to be able to seek treatment early, they will come late. So what are we going to do about that? And I think I, uh, this is where Prof Nimala and I are of, of same mind here, is that we need to be able to deal with what happens next and to be able to link people with, with the necessary treatment. And today, we have no idea how much is being allocated for, for cancer treatment, for example. Uh, how do we deal with uh, uh, late-stage cancer? What are we doing concerning rehabilitation? How do we increase the ability for cancer patients in Malaysia to survive? Are we leaving them, them behind? And this is unfortunate because that's due to the fact that we cannot see the budget uh, in that particular aspect. That particular aspect of, of treatment, of uh, what has been allocated for drugs and so forth, is hidden from our view compared to what it was in the previous Yes, now it's all lumped up together with everything else, with drugs from uh, cardiovascular di disease for nephrology, et cetera, et cetera. And we cannot see how much it is for any specific disease area. So it's a problem because we are going to have to deal with the fact that this burden that Prof. Nimala mentioned about non-communicable diseases is increasing by the day. There are more patients, there are more people who are coming down with chronic diseases, what are we doing about them? It's it's good to invest in prevention, definitely, and I would definitely say that we need to increase investment in prevention, but we also have to deal with the fact that we have people who are sick today. I'd like to move on to mental health, um, not necessarily distinct from non-communicable diseases as well, um, in my opinion, uh, sort of like parallel in terms of its impact and burden. Um, what did you think about the uh, investment into a National Mental Health Centre of Excellence, Dr. Nirmala? I love the move and I think it's good that we are openly talking about mental health. It has been, um, the, the, the conversation on mental health has been quiet in the past and only in the recent years we have seen uh, talking about investment in mental health. And um, 
the 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 thing about mental health is everyone thinks when we talk about mental health is about people with mental diseases and i think that needs to be addressed and we we need to recalibrate the way we look at mental health so it's also about keeping people happy at at work keeping pe- patients happy so it's all about uh, people who are healthy or apparently without any illness and also people who are living with some diseases so mental health is encompassing everything so in that sense it's nice that they have launched uh, they are they are starting this um, uh, center of excellence and so on but my wish is that they will focus beyond just looking at measuring depression anxiety and so on to promoting positive aspects of well-being mental well-being and it's all again linked because if we talk about mental health and we just restrict it to diseases it's going to be stigmatized and you know so so it's good that the budget covers it but it's also important that we we see what goes under mental health it's not just mental diseases but keeping people uh well because we don't have much information we just know that there's going to be uh resources going to put in for mental health so that's why i think it's important that we spell out it covers everything it covers everyone and um and therefore when when people are beginning to allocate budget they should remember that mm. you know and i couldn't agree with you more prof you know the fact is today if you wanted to get an appointment uh, to see a specialist in mental health a psychiatrist a psychologist under the public health services you would need to wait sometimes up to 3 months to get that appointment best case that i've heard was around 2 weeks uh, to get that appointment and sometimes when you're dealing with mental health issues it is immediate it is urgent and you cannot wait 2 weeks much less 3 months and the budget right now when we look at it you find that there is an allocation which was announced uh, for 34 million for a national mental health center of excellence and and that's great uh, for there to be a recognition of the fact that we need to be able to look at mental health and to have a center of excellence but you know when we see into the the details you find that uh, there's been an increase in in psychiatry and mental health services by a few million and the fact is that there is very much a problem here because it is emphasizing on building yet another building uh, possibly and this is something that we need to be able to address the problems that we have is not able to be addressed by having yet another building we need to increase availability and coverage of mental health services which are currently inadequate which means we need more service providers we need more psychiatrists psychologists and other mental health professionals and that means we need to uh, be able to invest in more people to be trained over several years because you can't just buy them or grow them uh, overnight and get them it's not jack at the beanstalk right so you basically have to invest long term and have commitment and if we don't have them today we need to make sure that people are able to access the mental health services because if people can't get them in the public sector they be, should be able to access in the private sector and that's right now we don't have a solution for that we don't have a initiative that allows that so people are unable to get these services because they can't pay for them so when i was reading some media reports uh 
announcing earlier that this Centre of Excellence for Mental Health would be set up. One mention of it was that it would be a referral centre for uh, non-governmental organisations. And there does seem to be a strong emphasis on the role of NGOs and community-based organisations in tackling mental health issues. Even a few weeks ago, um, KJ distributed funds amounting to $6.2 million to 52 mental health NGOs. Uh, I mean, on the one hand, NGOs playing a very important role in, in filling in that gap. But also, does that then... Uh, mean that we may lose sight of investing into the uh, resources that uh, you had mentioned, Azrul, the professional uh, um, healthcare resources? Um, I think what we need to remember is where I, I like to go back to what Azrul said about having a centre for, for mental health. I think it means that uh, if we do that and only focus on that centre, then what it means is people who are far away People who are uh, who are underprivileged will not have access. And then, but when we tie it to the fact that if we are going to involve NGOs, it means that there is going to be some sort of a networking. But I think that's not enough. It's not just NGOs, but we can also go through our primary care network. So that's why we need to see how mental health is going to be embedded within the primary care network that we have in Malaysia. And that can be the private as well as the public. So, so the talk about mental health, again, need not be very focused only on you know, people with obvious mental issues. So it can be as simple as someone who just have a temporary uh, problem due to an illness. And, and therefore, you know, it can go to domains where people are treating them for some other diseases. So if we just focus on NGOs and it's only going to be people who are you know, talking about mental health, then it'll be very um, in silo. So we need to talk about how we are going to bring mental health services to everyone. That means decentralizing. So having a center may be a good starting point, but you need to make sure that it's decentralized, that in every state, every village, there is some sort of a networking or connection that can, that can connect people upstream so that they can get the attention that they need to. Well, you know, the NGO perspective is one that... that for the government needs to not rely on the NGOs to do its its work, and that's a that's a very important point to to emphasize because NGOs are able to address gaps in existing uh, services, not be the service. Mm. And the reality is very often that uh, the NGOs are relied upon to do what the government should be doing, yeah. and we need to prevent this from happening because. Uh, NGOs are very limited in terms of resources, uh, in terms of coverage, in terms of the ability to uh, provide the you know services. They don't have a diversity of services, and also the fact is is that many of these NGOs are located in urban centres, most maybe in Klang Valley, Penang, Ipoh, and places like East Malaysia, Sabah, Sarawak will probably have none, you know, in terms of that and. Uh, that that is why we need the government to step up when it comes to mental health services. The reality for Malaysia is that seventy percent of the population access the public health system, so they are going to need these services to be in uh, the public health service. And if it isn't, then a way for them to access what's available in the private service. So today, expecting the NGOs to 
do the work is not realistic. And, you know, there's not much funding anyway. Uh, the, that funding that was distributed uh, could be great uh, for one year, but that's not a commitment for five years in terms of funding for mental health. It would have been great if it was, but the reality is, is that NGOs are limited in their ability to deliver services and that the government needs to be the one that steps up when it comes to providing uh, increased coverage and availability of mental health uh, services. Just very quickly uh, on ageing, uh, what did we see in the budget, uh, Dr. Nirmala, to address the impending ageing population that we're facing? Um, honestly, I don't think... I saw much of aging because it was all, you know, when we talk about maybe, maybe they thought that, you know, talking about non-communicable diseases and so on and screening and all that will be part of, uh, you know, supporting the aging population. But to be honest, I didn't really see much done for, for, the, for an aging population. And that's why I was talking about, you know, like uh, living with disease. So all these things are interrelated with the uh, aging. Yeah. You know, uh, everyone is living with disease. But but so I didn't see much of it there. So I I, I don't think I saw I, I can comment much because for me I felt there's nothing much really mm, that addresses um, the very specific yeah. challenges faced by the aging population, yeah. right? Not so it just was all over the place. And Correct. so so there was no specific, you know, like I think we need to do that. You know, in order to cover something, you need to explicitly spell it out. So I didn't see that that happening. Mm. Azrul? Well, you know, uh, shall it the, the problem of aging, I have to agree with Prof. Nimala there. The problem with aging population is that Nobody knows whose responsibility it is to address the issue of aging. Is it the Ministry of Health? Is it the Ministry of Women, Family, Community Development? And so when we're looking at the budget, you will find bits and bobs for aging uh, that are in there. And they are not clumped together under one particular ministry. And that's a huge problem because it is actually symptomatic of the over-reliance on informal services to help take care of our uh, age population and that nobody wants to deal with it, which is ironic because the majority of, of, of politicians and those in cabinets are in the aged population. Yeah. They're above the age of 60. And I have to say this, <laughs> that you think that at least they'll take care of their own, but they're not. And Malaysia is ill-prepared to deal with an aged population because they still basically uh, assume that the family is going to take care of it. Or for those who can afford it, uh, then they'll be placed into uh, assisted living uh, facilities. Uh, facilities, like private uh, homes for caring for the aged and so forth. You know, we see a lot of it in Petaling Jaya, for example, in Ipoh, where there are many of these facilities. And Unfortunately, this is where it is quite problematic and I need think the next budget needs to address this and correct it. First of all, identify which ministry is supposed to do it and if it is a multi-ministry approach, Ministry of Health and Ministry uh, of Women, Family, Community Development, both of these ministries need to have a specific section that is responsible to deal with this because it's going to be a substantial number of people who are in this age group uh, once we hit, hit 2030. But if you look at it, the budget and the announcement, I thought it was very interesting. Uh, obviously, dentures are not just for the older population, but it's also for you know those who 
due to some illness or, or disease or, or maybe injury or trauma, suddenly there was mention of 3D printing of dentures, which is great stuff. I mean, I thought it was cutting edge even, but I, in my mind was, where is the need for such uh, technology that's been uh, emphasized? And most importantly, who's getting the tender for this particular <laughs> piece of work? Because it's such a specific mention uh, in that budget speech. But, you know, I mean, uh, it's great that dental health for once is getting a huge Mention. Uh, visibility mentioned mm. this time. You know, usually you don't even see dental. I mean, you do. Dentistry anyway, yeah, but. we will be getting tax relief um, for dental screening services. So I think yeah. that is actually important in, in terms of that uh, emphasis on primary care, dental care at the primary care level. Um, but yes, 3D uh, printing of dentures. Um, yeah, but that's not enough for one. age uh, to deal with the age population. Exactly. And, and we're, we're talking about um, the tail end of whatever dental health issues. And, and um, I think talking about 3D printing is very interesting because I would have thought it would have been better if we say we in, uh, improve use of technology in health, for instance, and say 3D printing of health uh, devices. And then, you know, the denture can come in there. But there are also a lot of things because the pandemic has taught us that we can use such technology and uh, make a lot of expensive things available to a wider population because we are now able to, to harness technology and 3D printing is one of those. So again, like Hasrol, I, I was amused. I think I would use the word amused because there's only one mention of device, but what about the other devices? So why why not talk about in general? So if bringing in the 3D technology, then I would ask why were we not saying investing more in technology overall? And that's important uh, aspect to perhaps address because uh, we need to look at investments in services that address the age population like physiotherapy, you know, and we need more equipment. We need more specialization. We need more uh, technology to be able to adapt to that. You know, and uh, when we look at aging populations in countries like South Korea and Japan and and, and Taiwan and even Singapore, there's a lot that they've already uh, started to develop and prepare for. But I don't think we've even begun to discuss e this issue at all. And if we talk about setting up a center for excellence for mental health, there definitely needs to be a centre for ageing uh, that is led by the government on this issue um, and that we cannot afford to neglect uh, this particular population and to leave them behind because they are increasing by the day and many of us have parents and grandparents who have already reached this demographic and one for which, depending on daughters and sons, to basically care for is insufficient, especially with the kind of economic climate and challenges that uh, we are all facing today. Absolutely. And, you know, mention of technology um, brings me to digitalization of healthcare, which I feel was um, not mentioned in the budget. So let's get to that when we come back from our next break. Together with my co-host, Azrul Mohamed Khalib, CEO of the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy, we're speaking to Associate Professor Dr. Nirmala Bupati, public health physician from University of Malaya. It's our public health series and we're unpacking the health allocations uh, that was tabled in Budget 2023. We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Stay tuned to BFM's Budget 2023 special, brought to you by Marsing.
This BFM Budget 2023 special is brought to you by Ma Singh. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik. My co-host with me today, Azrul Mohamed Khalib, CEO of the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy for our Public Health segment. And we're speaking to Dr. Nirmala Bhupati, Associate Professor of Epidemiology in the Department of Social and Preventive Medicine at the Faculty of Medicine, University of Malaya. Budget 2023 was tabled last Friday with 36.14 billion ringgit allocated to healthcare. And we are um, breaking down some of the line items and also starting, well, we have already been discussing um, what was left out, what we feel would have made this a stronger budget, especially with the view to future-proofing our healthcare system um, for shocks that may be to come, whether it's another health crisis or um, crises that we are already struggling to deal with, namely uh, non-communicable disease burden, mental health burden and um, the needs of the ageing population. And we started to talk about technologies because we started talking about 3D printing of dentures, which uh, received some allocations in the budget. And um, on that note, uh, you know, Dr. Nirmala, you brought up uh, that we should be addressing uh, investing into technology Um advanced technologies that our healthcare system needs as a whole rather than such niche areas. Now, leading up to the budget, there have been many conversations about the need to um, digitalize our healthcare system. I think um, healthcare information and uh, the need to digitalize that has always been such a big ask, you know, and we've been talking about it for, for so many years and nothing really has ever materialized. What did you see in the budget, if at all, uh, in this area? <laughs> I, I'm a bit quiet because I've been trying to scan through and see if there's anything that I saw. I I don't think I came across any specific. Neither did uh, I. So so I I feel that you know we have it is disappointing simply because during the pandemic we had a lot of opportunities and there were a lot of silver linings that came through. So I think we could go forward and you know. Uh, bring some of the silver linings that we gained from the pandemic to to move the agenda of uh, improving digitalization of healthcare, you know, improving medical records and availability, accessibility. So I don't, I didn't see it happening or being mentioned in the in the budget. So, like I said again, sometimes it, one may argue that you know the budget is very general. We can only talk about the the headings, and it's up to the the specific sector or the division to say how in specific are they going to allocate things. But I also think that if we don't do that upfront, it will get lost in translations. Um, and and I think technology and digitalization and you know. Uh, bringing things forward and not always doing the way we deal with health and healthcare delivery, it needs to change. And and the pandemic offered that. And um, I think we didn't make the best use of it. Azrul? Well, shall we, it goes back to what I said at the very beginning, uh, what this budget actually seems to be addressing. And, and that is really to uh, look at modernizing uh, aging infrastructure and looking at retaining skilled healthcare workers. So something like digitalization or modernization of the healthcare system using technology or, you know, think, addressing things like electronic medical records and so forth is one that requires a multi-year investment and uh, a significant one. And I think because of this 
uh, budget being what it is, uh, a pre-election budget, obviously uh, one that is intended to provide a little bit more short-term goodies, uh, solutions to issues, uh, it is not really intended to to have that uh, in this budget. But I am hoping that the next budget that gets tabled does incorporate that because we really need to address the digital health gap, uh, a lot of it has been uh, raised uh, many, many, many times for different people. Uh, the opportunities that we have, especially after the COVID crisis, uh, where we've had lockdowns, a lot of emphasis on telehealth, and a lot of innovation that has gone into this area that we need to be able to take advantage of. But we're not simply because our equipment is still uh, not uniformly uh, modernized. And you're also not only just talking about equipment, buildings, technology, you're also looking at investment in people. We need to ensure that there is enough allocation that is going to uh, building up the skill sets of the different technologists, the medical technologists, the doctors, the specialists, the healthcare professionals, to be able to use that technology to the best that they can. Because uh, that is some aspect that we often forget when we're getting so caught up in uh, digitalizing our different health systems, we forget to train the people who are supposed to use them. So uh, there needs to be more thought into how we look at digital health in, in Malaysia. And certainly, it needs to be reflected properly in upcoming budgets in the years to come. And speaking of people, Azrul, you said that there does seem to be the intention to um, improve the retention of existing healthcare workers. Uh, but does the budget mention anything about the um, contract uh, healthcare workers problem? There is actually a huge allocation for our contract workers uh, uh, in the budget, and that is obviously to increase the pool of healthcare professionals that can be retained through contract means. But if you look at the permanent positions that are clearly listed in the budget breakdowns, there is no change in the number of permanent positions, which and that's makes where it very the problem clear. is, isn't it? Exactly. Uh, you know, a lot of of the concerns have been moving from contract to permanent positions, and that has been a teething issue from the very beginning. So it looks like, at least from the short term, uh, that the Ministry of Health intends to increase the pool of healthcare workers who are retained on a contract basis, looking towards perhaps in the next budgets to come to creating new permanent positions that are able to then absorb some of these contract workers into the system. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, we are having a lot of shortfalls in the different healthcare uh, workers' uh, number, but the devils in the details really show it. It's where we are having shortfalls in, which disease area, which specialty and so forth that needs to be better addressed. Uh, just increasing it overall is not going to be enough. Dr. Nimrala, were there any other gaps uh, in the budget that you'd like to highlight? What worried me or what, what was of concern to me is that, you know, when we talk about health, it's not in silo. Health systems don't operate in silo. And I didn't see any, any places where... We, there was a you know conscious effort being said that we want to put in budget to get all the sectors to work closely and it relates to everything non-communicable diseases aging population uh, digitalization so the health systems alone and its experts 
um, are not well equipped to deal with it alone. It's, it's, a, it's a problem where every sector has to come in. And that sector can be a government sector or a public sector. And the partnerships, how we can, uh, you know, how investments are put in to make sure that we work with each other to improve the overall well-being. That is something that we need to discuss and we also need to invest in those in order to improve the, the status. So, for instance, if you are saying that we want, um, we want to support the aging, aging population or we want to improve digitalization, and then we are only looking at the Ministry of Health or the health system, not necessarily Ministry of Health, any providers of healthcare. And then it, it's going to be hard because we all of us need to work with each other and, and I think in, in our setting, we need to optimize that. It's not it's suboptimal. And in budget, we need to talk about how we are going to get all these people to work together, include, including public-private partnership. I didn't see it happening. Only in disaster situation, we say, oh, we need public-private partnership. Yeah. And, 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 you know, so, so we already have, I, I just think that the lessons learned from the pandemic we need to, you know, expand on those, not not go back to status quo. So, so I think that was missing. We didn't bring that emergency preparedness that we should have planned. And, and, and for that matter, we don't have any emergency preparedness plan, let alone for health, I think, in a lot of other sectors as well. So I think when we have a budget, we have to have that emergency preparedness plan and we use the lessons from the past to bring it forward. And that goes to everything, you know, like from digitalization, aging, all the things that we have been talking about. So that that aspect is missing and it should be part of the budget discussion. Azrul, are there any gaps that you'd like to point out as well, apart from everything we've discussed? Well, for me, it really is about healthcare financing and dealing with the consequences of mental health and the aging population, which we have not been able to address properly. And this needs to be taken seriously. If there's a new budget that's going to be tabled, uh, we need to fix these particular aspects and to ensure that we're serious about wanting to ensure that we are solving them. Of course, you can't solve them from just the budget. We need the political will and awareness of uh, the issue to be able to firmly uh, respond to these concerns. But that's one thing that perhaps we cannot uh, discern from looking at the breakdown of a budget, you know, where is the concerns and priorities of the uh, government when it comes to these issues. And one area that uh, has not been fully responded to is issue of nutrition, uh, shall it. And, you know, it's been recognised that we have a problem of malnutrition amongst uh, our school kids. The children are facing dual uh, malnutrition problems. One is uh, stunting and the other one is obesity. So childhood stunting and childhood obesity are both very high in Malaysia's children. And for some reason in this budget, it can provide 150 ringgit for kids to uh, receive, but it has not been able to introduce a nutritious food program in schools for all children to address malnutrition. So you can give 150 ringgit uh, regardless of household income under the Bantuan Awal Pesekolahan uh, Program, and I think it's the BAP. But for some reason, we are grudging them the ability to have healthy, nutritious breakfast or meals in school. So mm. uh, that's something that we need to be able to address because even rich kids are 
mal, malnourished, you know. So uh, we need to be able to look at this from a holistic perspective. And malnutrition is not being addressed at all in this budget. Mm, very piecemeal. Um, some one-off um, allocation, one-off cash assistance of 500 ringgit for mothers from the Bantuan Keluarga Malaysia households who give birth in 2022. That's really just giving you 500 ringgit um, for your baby born in 2023. The intention supposedly to increase birth rate and reduce incidence of stunting, I don't see that as being any sort of um, sustainable public health um, measure at all. Unfortunately, um, I do have to wrap up this conversation. Of course, there's so much more we could discuss, but I think we really nailed down um, in principle uh, what should go into the thinking uh, of budgets and uh, what was really missed out. Um, I was going to ask about the health reform white paper that's supposed to be announced in November, but I don't even know what's going to happen with that now. Let's Let me end this way. The, the politicians are really at their tables thinking of how to campaign right now, right? Um, what do you want to say to them that will make healthcare a priority in their minds? This budget uh, it was supposed to be a document that would help the agencies and ministries uh, look ahead to what they want to plan for next year. So what do you want to say to the politicians um, as they come up with their manifestos and campaign promises um, when it comes to healthcare? Dr. Nirmala? I think uh, very importantly, when we are planning budget or planning anything for that matter, it needs to be evidence-informed and there need to be needs and it must be clearly assessed. So if you go to the population and say you want to address something, there needs to be some form of a needs assessment. It can be informal, but but it cannot be, you know, like just picking on certain very specific areas and not covering the entire area. So it must be evidence-informed and it, there must be some debates with experts and the stakeholders who are involved. And only then we come up with the... Uh, not not just based on personal opinions and, you know, where it, there's no backing. So that's how we are going to address things. So we need to engage the stakeholders who are involved. We cannot decide for the stakeholders without knowing what they need. Absolutely. Azrul? Well, uh, Shawit, the Galen Centre is going to be scrutinising uh, the individual candidates that are looking to win public office in this coming general election. And seeing how many and what are they including in their manif individual manifestos. Uh, of course, the uh, larger manifestos, coalition, uh, such as Barisan National, Pakhtan Harapan, will be looking at what they have in uh, their documents for health and what their commitments are, or at least their promises. But we're also going to be looking at individual candidates as well. And so uh, we are going to see how serious they are on the issue of health. Because previously, uh, health was used very much as, as a simple mention or wanting to just indicate that they're thinking about it, but there's been very few details about it. So this time around, we want to see what are their thoughts on cancer, uh, about the aging population, about mental health. And we expect a substantially more amount of thinking going into the manifesto concerning health. And that's something that we're going to hold them to if and when they win public office. So that goes for both the uh, larger parties, coalitions, and also going to individual MPs. 
All right. So, in other words, we have our eyes uh, on them, don't we? And we will uh, definitely be ho- trying to hold them accountable for the promises made and whether they are delivered. Thank you so much, um, both of you, for your time today. My co-host, Azro Muhammad Khalib, CEO of the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy. And we've been speaking to Dr. Nirmala Bupati, Associate Professor of Epidemiology in the Department of Social and Preventive Medicine at the Faculty of Medicine, University of Malaya. This has has been Health and Living, BFM 89.9. This BFM Budget 2023 special was brought to you by Marseille. Reinvent spaces, enhance life. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.